Hey everyone, welcome back to my Blacadian universe. I want to talk about talking about racism, just building on my episode last week when I just talked about those things that you shouldn't really be saying uh, to people of color when um, we talk about racism. I wanted to talk about, you know, starting that conversation. So let's talk about it. So, uh, last week I talked about all those common things that, you know, people of color, whenever we raise the issue of racism that we hear, um, people are so quick to dismiss it. And I know that ties into white fragility. People just don't want to hear it. You don't want to feel blamed. I get it. I get it. I, uh, <laughs> understand coming from that vantage point, um, a lot of people feel uncomfortable. No one likes talking about topics that make you uncomfortable, but you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And um, if your first reaction is like anger, when someone talks about racism, that's not that person's problem. That's your problem. I, I, I think it would go a long way if a lot more people understood that. So what also made me think about this was uh, recently in the news, Holly Robinson Pete, who is an actress, um, uh, African-American actress, um, she shared a story where, you know, her sons were um, basically denied access to boarding a plane because she had bought their tickets and they didn't have the, you know, proof that they bought the tickets because they're children and, you know, they didn't buy the tickets. They don't have a visa card. And, um, you know, they, uh, eventually the issue was worked out and, um, they were able to fly home the day after, which is, maddening and so you know they were flying business class and you know she mentioned that it was racism that stopped them from getting on that plane now um a lot of people had an issue with that and you know that just boiled my blood because it is racism it's racism let's let's i'm not asking for um <laughs> you know your um, like we're not asking for support or proof or, you know, uh, it to be validated. She is saying it's racism and any person of color knows it. And I'll tell you why. Business class is too nice. Racist people will say business class is too nice for black people. And that'll get their flags raising their spidey senses tingling that something is wrong and it's a miss and it's because of structural institutionalized racism that has stopped black people from acquiring wealth that would make you think there's no way that these two young black boys have family members rich enough to afford a business class flight that's just the reality of the world that we're looking at and so to be kind because I always try to be kind. The woman at this counter probably didn't even realize that that's what she was doing, that her screening process, she was thinking, you know, she probably thinks she's not a racist person. So when we say that's racism, she's like, what? What do you mean? I have black friends. 
I can't be racist. And, you know, that's the kind version of (laughs) what went down. You know, the best case scenario is that she has just never questioned her own biases. And, you know, fair enough. But what um, needs to happen is you need to listen. So I think that's sort of the most frustrating part is that when, you know, people, when we speak up and we tell people like, you know, everyone's like, oh, I want to be an ally. I want to learn. And when we do speak up, people immediately shut it down and say, that's not an example of racism because they think of racism as, you know, KKK members wearing hoods and burning crosses and stuff like that. And they don't think of the subtle everyday ways in which, um, hundreds of years of oppression have influenced the way you view people of color. And that includes, you know, what type of wealth um, a person of color can have. So absolutely, those boys not being able to get on the plane when they should have is a result of racism. It's not a debate. It's not a question. That is what happened. Um, I um I think I've mentioned this before about just that proof that proof that we need to prove to people that these things are happening and what is so difficult about racism is that it is a qualitative um problem you know we can show you, I mean, it, there's tons of, you know, qua- quantitative data to back it up as well. Um, you know, statistics and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But those kinds of interactions, when you know that somebody is seeing only your skin and not you, um, how do you describe that? It's like describing homophobia or sexism. You know, you just know that you're not getting a fair shake because of, um, what you are, not who you are. And I, I'm sick and tired of the conversation always having to start with, you know, well, I, I just don't see that. You know, how is a white person, let's just be honest, you know, that ha- your existence has been, you know, protected against having these conversations. You know, people are currently up in arms in America about, you know, critical race theory. They don't even understand what it is, but they definitely know that they don't want their children, their white children to learn about it because they're too young and protected. Something that you have never even been, you know, thinking about your entire life. How are you going to honestly tell me that, you know, you know for sure that it's not racism when you're talking to somebody who's been experiencing it since they were a child their whole life, you cannot honestly contribute to that conversation in any real way because you have been spending your whole life making sure that you don't have those conversations. You don't have those conversations. I've been having this conversation, you know, with my friends since I was eight you know, seven, eight, I, I maybe before that, but I have clear memories of talking to my friend um, about, <laughs> you know, we were jokingly talking about it, but racism was a part of my life. And, you know, having conversations about eight, how are you uh, as a grown woman going to come to me and say that, oh, that wasn't racism? 
you don't know. Listen, stop and listen. You might learn something about the realities of being a black person in this country. Even a wealthy black person, we are not safe. We are not safe from institutionalized racism. Let me say that again. If you have never thought about racism your whole life, you think that it was eradicated, you know, back um, when Martin Luther King was around, that's what you were taught in your history classes in your books, and you thought everything's fine now, you dusted your hands off, the work is done, you are part of the problem. You don't understand the ongoing oppression that people of color experience on a daily basis. It impacts my day-to-day life. It impacts how I wear my hair. It impacts where I go. It impacts where I live. It impacts where I study. It It impacts where I spend my money. It is a daily, uh, decision in my life. So when I tell you that something I'm so practiced at, that muscle memory of how I live my life and navigate through racism, I don't have to, I, you know, I can't even explain because so much of it is just muscle memory. And you have the exact same experiences to oppress me in your muscle memory. You are not actively doing it. You are just doing it. And until you actively challenge those parts of yourself, then we are not even having a conversation. I am not proving anything to you because it cannot be proven to someone so ignorant of reality. It just can't be done. Like I cannot, it, (laughs) I'm, like I, I'm likening it to having to explain complex physics to a two-year-old. Cognitively, they just cannot understand those concepts in their infancy. They could end up being a great physicist when they get older and their brain is matured enough to cognitively, developmentally understand that. That is the conversation. That is how I cannot explain racism to someone who has spent their life with their head in the sand when it comes to racism. It's just not going to work. And I will not waste my time on that. Like, you know, I tweeted about it the other day and someone tried to come at me and say it's not racism. I just blocked them because I'm not getting dragged into a conversation with somebody that's stupid and ignorant. Like, I no, I'm not explaining it. Like when you grow up, come and have a conversation with me about racism and we can chalk. So when I talk about racism being just a part of my life, I wanted to end with a personal story about an ex-friend of mine. Did I mention we should, I should talk about that as well. Just normalizing, um, you know, breaking up with people like you break up with, (laughs) breaking up with friends, like you break up with um, boyfriends and girlfriends. we need to normalize that because it's a reality that uh, it took me a long time to realize when someone's not uplifting you, you need to cut them out of your life. Um, So an ex-friend, you know, um, basically this person was white and she saw me as beneath her and it you know, it didn't occur to me 
you know, I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but let's just say people were, I was one of her last friends. People were cutting her out of their life left and right. And, um, you know, I could, I could understand it, but I thought, okay, you know, we don't have an issue until of course, um, you know, we were in high school and we were getting our acceptances to university and I got accepted into a prestigious school in a prestigious program. And she said, you know, oh, Denise, if you end up being richer than me, ugh, I couldn't imagine it. And it hurt. I'll be honest, it hurt because it was a very clear example that I was like that token friend, you know, it didn't matter that, you know, we went to the same elementary school, the same high school, we lived within blocks of each other in the same house that I was going to, you know, school, we went on the same trips together. I guess there was some assumption that, you know, our financial um, statuses were wildly different just because of the color of my skin. And um, I thought, you know, she isn't cheering for me. She's not supporting me. She doesn't want the best for me or what, you know, she perceives as the best. She thinks that I need to stay in my lane. And I was pretty much done at that point. Like, obviously, it's nice to have, you know, a nice break of going away to university to not ever have to talk to somebody again, uh, <laughs> which was convenient and nice. Um, but I remember sitting with that for a really long time because I thought, how could this person that's known me is, you know, considers me a friend, um, really think that about me? And it was because her mind was so poisoned about what being black meant that even as an example that she's, you know, been around for years, you know, been around my family and everything, like she just couldn't get past that block. She was uh, putting me in a box that um, made her feel comfortable. I don't know what the case may be, whatever she needed to do to tell herself. But that was where I needed to be, what made sense for her in her reality. And another thing that I grappled with was that she had no idea. She had no idea how incredibly racist that statement was. She probably had no idea that I was reeling from that comment, that that was like the final nail in the coffin of our friendship, that she had no idea where she went wrong. She, I, I couldn't even begin to explain why that was so impactful to me and wrong to me because, you know, how do you challenge that kind of worldview? Like, how do I say like, what? Like, <laughs> what? Like, that's sort of what I was thinking is just, you know me, you've been in my home, you've seen these things. Like, uh, I don't understand how you could mad like think those things about, um, you know, you know that I was a good student, that, you know, we've been in class, that I, I study hard, I work hard. Um, 
And it just didn't make sense to her that I could, you know, I was on a path to, to be something that didn't fit in her, her reality. And it just, it's one of those things that um, when I say that people that, you know, don't consider themselves racist, that aren't actively challenging their biases, are contributing to upholding the systems that have been in place to keep people of color out of uh, leadership positions, power, power positions of, you know, decision policy, lawmaking positions. These are the kinds of things that need to be challenged so that we can remove those views. So it is normal to see people of color um, that are wealthy, that are leaders, that are decision makers, you know, and it's not a shock to the system of people um, when you walk into a room and it's, you know, multi-cultural, uh, you know, that needs to be normalized, that needs to be standardized so that um, we don't have to justify and explain to people what racism is, that normal is, is, you know, two black boys getting on a plane in business class because they're fortunate enough to have parents that can afford to, to buy them those tickets, that it wouldn't be questioned, it wouldn't be bizarre, that there would be many other uh, such children on that flight. That's where we, we need to go. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. Normalize, normalize listening when I say that's racist as hell. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you next time.